Thank you so much, and thank you all for being here. I hope that you were able to come one of the two nights for Christmas at Grace. Pastor Jeff, the orchestra, the singers, worship teams, the band, the media team, and tech all did an absolutely outstanding job both nights, and we had um, just a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, but best of all, and this morning when I came in, I just went back through the cards from last night. We asked people if they made a decision to let us know. And both nights, we had people that indicated that they prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And so um, that, that certainly makes all things worth the effort to know that people walked in without the Lord and walked out as new brothers and sisters in Christ. And so thank you again to everyone who made it such a spectacular, spectacular uh, evening of worship Friday and Saturday. Don't forget to join us this Christmas Eve at either 3 or 5 p.m. It doesn't look like a blizzard's going to set in this year between those two services. We had uh, a great time last year, but those of us who stayed through both uh, had a hard time getting home, didn't we? It was quite the sight out there. Some of you were dreaming of a white Christmas, and the Lord responded to that. And so uh, just slow those prayers down a little bit this year. We want to have those services and honor our Lord. It's going to be a wonderful time of acoustic worship. Uh, I'm going to do something special, and so I want to encourage you to bring your children. Miss Cindy and I are going to be on the platform and ask the children to come up, and I have a special story to share with them. And so that will be Christmas Eve. We will also, uh, from that story, transition and take communion together. And so please join us for that. We would really appreciate it. As you're taking your Bibles, heading back to Luke chapter 1, I do want to let you know of something. This week, we have been able to bless um, several groups related to the tornadoes and the disaster that went through uh, southeast Missouri, Kentucky, and even parts of Tennessee. We have given a sizable gift to Tennessee Baptist Disaster Relief, also to Kentucky Disaster Relief, and we were able to help one family in particular that has relationship to our church. In fact, Fox News even picked up the family story uh, with the loss of a child and a mother who is critical and all of those things, but we've been able to help um, substantially this week a specific family in two different states. We have teams on standby for cleanup when uh, and if we're called up for that. And so thank you again for being so generous and helping us to help others. We do more together. And because of your generosity and your overflow, those funds have already been sent and more is even coming in. And as soon as we get it, we're sending it right back out. So thank you for that, okay? So today, I'm asking this question, and many of you are going to be familiar with this song, Mary, Did You Know? Mark Lowry is best known as a singer and comedian who spent many years as a fixture in the Gaither vocal band. But years from now, when all is said and done, I believe Lowry's most enduring legacy will be this Christian song. It was written nearly 40 years ago as a meditation for a Christmas program at his church. In 1984, the leaders at Lowry's Nashville congregation asked him if he would be willing to write a musical for Advent. He gladly agreed, and inspiration came as Lowry focused his mind on the wonder of Christmas. This is what he said. I tried to picture Mary holding the baby Jesus on the first Christmas morning and wondered what she was thinking about that child. She knew he was special. The virgin birth was her first clue. But who could ever imagine all the things he would do while he was here? So Lowry soon came up with a series of questions that he would like to ask Mary. 
Did you know he'd walk on water? Did you know he'd raise the dead? Did you know he would give sight to the blind? Lowry decided to use the questions as a monologue to be, to be recited between scenes of the musical. But the profundity of those questions lingered in his mind long after his church musical was over. And in 1991, 30 years ago, harmonica virtuoso Buddy Green supplied just the right music. And so now three decades ago, Mary Did You Know was born. You see, in the first half of Luke, we see the angel Gabriel giving a birth announcement to Zacharias, who would soon be father to John the Baptist. But in our focal text this morning, Gabriel speaks again and gives another announcement. This is the most important announcement that the world would ever receive concerning the upcoming conception of the Christ child. Let's see this announcement together. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Luke 1, I'll pick up with verse 26. Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, as angels often do, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Now listen to this statement from Gabriel. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I know that if we've been in church much at all, these words are quite familiar to us. We've heard of this story. Lord, we know many of the details, but help us to know today that there's so much we can learn when we dig deeply into the truths of Scripture. And it's not just for a head knowledge that we come today, but God, we want you to touch our very hearts, the core of our being, so that when we leave this place, we are more like Christ than when we came in. For those of us that know him and love him, may we grow deeper right now. And for those who are still outside of the family, may this be the day that they understand they can become part of the family of God. They can receive Christ as their Lord and their Savior. They can say yes to Jesus today and give him the gift he so desires for his birthday, their heart and their life. 
as we've seen new brothers and sisters coming into the family in the last few nights here, I pray, oh God, that you'll do it again. Do what only you can do when all is said and done. Lord, I pray you have a smile on your face. You are pleased with the people of grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So as I went through this text, I was really inspired, very much like Mark Lowry, to ask some questions. I actually gave a preview of this message in a very brief message I brought to an upper school Grace Christian Academy concert. I didn't dig in, but I just asked a few key questions. The first is this, Mary, did you know how essential a virgin birth would be? Did you know how essential a virgin birth would be? Now, there are some pastors, some theologians, some scholars or pseudo-scholars that have made the claim that a virgin birth really isn't that important. Friend, let me tell you right now, were there not a virginal conception and a virgin birth of Jesus Christ, you and I could not be saved by his sacrifice. You say, well, wait a minute, that's a mighty big and bold statement. I am telling you that the gospel hinges on the virginal conception of Christ. Let me give you some background here. We know at least four things about Mary by the text and the context. We know that she was quite young, a teenager. We know that she was quite poor. We know that she was a devout believer in God. And we also know that she was very much in love. The story opens with her betrothed or pledged to Joseph. Now, that's a little broader and deeper than our engagement today. And no, friend, they did not have a photographer there when Joseph asked. I don't understand this trend. But anyway, between the pledge and the wedding, feast was a period typically lasting between six months and one year. And during that period, in the Judaic mind, the couple was considered married. They were, in fact, called husband and wife, but they did not yet live together, nor did they have any sexual contact. But it's right at this moment that the angelic messenger enters the scene, and he's about to ask this otherwise unknown teenage girl to take part in something so spectacular and so shocking that it's almost unbelievable. It'll not only change the course of Mary's life forever, but the course of all of human history. In verses 26 to 30, we're led in on this angelic encounter between Mary and the angel Gabriel as she received this birth announcement that's going to rock her world and change all of our trajectory. So it says this, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now that six-month reference is a reference to her relative, cousin, probably aunt, Elizabeth. So we've already studied that story. I'll not go back, but that was the reference. It's giving us a time sequence, if you will. Dr. Luke is very specific as he writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God sends Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, the region of Galilee, folks, is not a politically correct choice. Judea is in the heart of Israel, while Galilee is up in the hills. It's beautiful, by the way. We'll see it. Those of you that are going with us to the Holy Land in 22, we'll see it. Galilee is a beautiful region, but uh, it's up in the hills, and sometimes things up in the hills get a little backward. I don't mean that ugly. I'm just telling you the truth, and that's the way it was here. Nazareth was a really a surprising choice, not just because it was up in the hills, but Nazareth in that day was a place of political corruption a place of rampant immorality. In fact, Nathaniel summed up the reputation of Nazareth in John uh, 1.46. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The town of Nazareth was small. 
And the womb that would carry the greatest of all treasures would not be the womb of a princess, but a peasant, a young virgin girl. And notice in verse 27, it mentions that very fact twice. It says that the angel came to a virgin betrothed to a man of the house of Joseph named David, and the virgin's name, why say it twice? Because it's important. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, the Greek word used here is parthenos. And while it can simply mean an unmarried girl, its most common understanding and its clearer meaning is that of a woman who's never known a man. You say, well, how can we be certain of that? <laughs> because Mary told us. Mary said, how, how can I have a child? I have never known a man. The most common Jewish idiom for explaining the relationship of intimacy between a man and a woman. I've never had sexual contact with a man. Now, she could have responded as Zacharias did, but she didn't. And let me tell you the difference. Zacharias wanted proof. How can this be? How can I have a child in my old age? Mary wanted to know the process. Two different things. He wanted proof. She just simply said, explain this process to me. And so it's a perfectly natural question. She's engaged, but she's not yet what we would call formally married. She is saving herself for her betrothed. How can she become pregnant? How can she have a son? Many of you remember the longtime television host Larry King, a Jewish man who did not believe in Christ. King was once asked the question, if you could select one person across all of human history to interview, who would it be? King answered by saying that he would like to sit down and talk with Jesus Christ. He said this, quote, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. Think about that. A Jewish man. Was he indeed virgin born? Well, there's no doubt that Jesus was born of a virgin and that he alone has defined history. This was not something thought of at the last minute, by the way, folks. This was prophesied over 500 years earlier in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what, church? God with us. I mean, is there a more beautiful name? Emmanuel, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Bible says this virgin was pledged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of David, and that's important as well because he would be the lion from the tribe of Judah. Well, where were David's people from? The tribe of Judah. This Davidic kingdom God would promise many, many hundreds of years before, many generations ago, he promised that there would be a kingdom through David that would never, ever end. And you know, Joseph would become the husband of Mary, though not without some agonizing moments when he found out she was pregnant. He knew he wasn't the daddy, but of course, Matthew 1.16 is careful to specify that Jesus was born of Mary and not just the son of Joseph. That is so critical because in Adam, in the seed of man, all die. But in Christ, all are made of alive. You see, according to Genesis 3.15, Jesus didn't come in the seed of Adam. He didn't come through the seed of man. He came through the womb of the woman. And then the Holy Spirit overshadowed. And, I, and you say, Pastor, exactly how does that happen? Ask the Lord one day when you see him, man. I don't know. 
Didn't I tell you last week, I'm not God, you don't want me to be. I'd be zapping a ton of y'all on the road out there, especially over at Turkey Creek. Keep me away, man. Zap. So the angel answers Mary's question. The, the Holy Spirit is going to do this, and the Holy One born to her will be called the Son of God. I mean, two very important truths held in tension right here in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. The Holy One is called the Son of God. Number one, it is necessary for the Savior of the world to be born of woman, that he would be of the same nature as those he came to save. Jesus had to be like us in every way because animal blood can't take away human sin. If death comes to humanity, there must be a sacrifice. Jesus is 100% man. But it was just as imperative that he would be holy and totally sinless. Well, in Adam all die. In Adam all are sinful because we are born in original sin. So Jesus had to be just like us, but wholly different than us. And so in the incarnation, when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we have this perfect union of the human and the divine. And in this one verse, Gabriel is making clear the glorious fact that both requirements, 100% humanity and 100% divinity, are coupled in Christ. He's fully man, yet fully God. And we have here the mystery of the incarnation and the virgin birth held in tension. C.S. Lewis wrote years ago with penetrating insight, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. What an incredible truth. Listen to me carefully. The virgin birth of Christ is absolutely essential to understanding his perfectly divine human nature. Do not push it aside. Do not make it a peripheral issue. It is key because the Christ child is just like you and just like me, but he is wholly different than you and wholly different than me. And this is the one Job cried out for. Oh, that one would have his hand on God and have his hand on me. I need a mediator. Job, you have a mediator. His name is Jesus. It's the beautiful truth of Christmas, my friend. The virginal conception and birth of Jesus. Jesus, as I said, is 100% man and simultaneously 100% God. And this fact is fundamental for our salvation. In verse 36, the angel explains that God's power has already impacted Mary's elder cousin or aunt, Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant because God is not restricted to natural order. And then in verse 37, we have a summary, a benediction, if you will. It's the bottom line. Mary, I could try to explain this to you all day long. Mary, I could give you a hundred details. Mary, let me put it to you simply. For with God, nothing is impossible. He says that no word from God shall be void of power. That's really the most literal rendering of the Hebrew. I actually love that. For with God, no word will be void of power. God can and will do anything he determines. Now listen. Listen carefully to me. Some of you think you're in an impossible situation right now. You may be in a seemingly impossible job situation. You may be faced with a pile of debt. 
You may be worried about a child or worried about a parent or worried about a spouse. Imagine what those just a little north of here and a little west of here have been facing in these days. Imagine these three families, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. We held celebration of life services here. Imagine this time of year. You may be longing for courage to face some trial. You may be overwhelmed right now with life. Whatever it is, I say to you on the authority of the inerrant, infallible Word of God that with Him nothing will be impossible. Are you afraid this morning? Nothing is impossible with God. Do you feel lost and do you feel lonely today? Nothing is impossible with God. Is your marriage melting down? Listen to me. Nothing is impossible with God. Are you too tired to go on? Nothing is impossible with God. Do you wonder if you'll ever get over your anger. Nothing is impossible with God. Do some of you feel unloved or underappreciated? Nothing is impossible with God. If the Lord himself can reach all the way down from the throne of heaven to the body of a young virgin, if he can enter time from eternity, listen to me, if the infinite can become an infant, what can he not do for you? Nothing is impossible with God today. Nothing. No matter how great, no matter how difficult, God is in the business of making the possible out of the impossible. Do not forget this one we celebrate this season, wrapped in flesh, is God. When you see me, Jesus said, you see the Father. What does God look like? Look full into the face of Jesus Christ. You see God. You see God in flesh. Mary, did you know how essential a virgin birth would be? Secondly, Mary, did you know how perfectly your son would fulfill biblical prophecy? Did you know how perfectly he would fulfill the word of God, the prophets of old? In verse 28, the Lord said, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. It's a beautiful and powerful and personal greeting. Gabriel tells Mary she's about to receive a free bestowal of God's unmerited favor. Now, listen to me carefully, especially my Catholic friends out there. I've had a number of Catholics begun, have started coming to our church. That's wonderful. You are welcome. But I want you to listen to me very carefully. This salutation from the angel doesn't mean Mary is so full of grace she can bestow her grace upon others. God alone has the power to gift grace. You follow me? We're not getting grace from Mary. The context here is that because the Lord is with her, she is favored. That's what grace is all about, God's unmerited favor. But she was greatly troubled at these words. She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Let me tell you why she was troubled. She was troubled because she knew she wasn't perfect. She knew that she was not the one that could carry the Christ child on her own. She knew about the Messiah. This was a good Jewish girl. Poor, yes, but not poor in spirit and not poor in her knowledge of Scripture. She knew about her shortcomings, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Over and over and over, when the angelic messengers come, fear pops out. Again, not these cute little female uh, Cupid-looking angels floating around. The messenger of Almighty God is speaking. And he tells her in verse 31 that she will give birth to a son. 
And while the conception was miraculous, Mary was going to have what we would essentially call a normal pregnancy and give birth through labor pains to a baby boy. There was a virginal conception and, of course, all the way to a virginal birth. He was fully human and so would experience what every baby goes through. Contrary to the Christmas carol that says, no crying he makes, I believe Jesus probably squalled out that night, y'all. 100% man. He was fully human in that moment. But Hebrews 2.17 says it this way, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. See, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that if Jesus is not like us, then Jesus doesn't save us. His name, the angel says his name, will be Yeshua. Yeshua, the birth announcement being dictated to Mary here even before she's pregnant, Yeshua, Joshua in the Old Testament, when we bring it into the Greek, it's Yeshua, Jesus. It means Yahweh is salvation. From the very beginning, her son was set apart as Savior with the name chosen by God himself. You know, sometimes couples struggle to pick the name for their baby. Sometimes it may be more of the mom's choice, other times the father. In this case, it was the father's choice. (laughs) He didn't ask permission. He didn't say, by the way, Virgin Mary, what would you like us to call this child? No, no, no. Just like with John, the name was picked out from eternity past. He said his name will be God, his salvation. I mean, I want you to think for just a second. Now, I'm specifically talking here to my brothers and sisters, okay? Is there any other name so marvelous and so matchless as that name? Now, I got to tell you, I love hearing the name Cindy. And I'm quite partial to this name, Lucy. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. I I love Lucy. You caught the reference. Good. Y'all are awake this morning. I'm glad. But is there any other name like the name of our Emmanuel? We grew up singing it like this. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, there's just something about that name. Do you know that, Master? Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. What about that? Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. Isn't that true, brothers and sisters? There is something about the name Jesus. (laughs) God chose that name. 
Even his very name fulfills biblical prophecy about the purpose of his coming. Even his very name, the Lord, Yahweh, is salvation. God saves. The Lord saves. This is the truth even here in the birth narrative, in the announcement. Dr. Charles C. Ryrie has pointed out that by the law of chance, it would require 200 billion earths populated with 4 billion people each to find one person who could achieve just 100 accurate prophecies without error in sequence. But the Bible records for us not merely 100 prophecies of the coming king, Jesus, but approximately 300 biblical prophecies about the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Who else could fulfill the word of God so perfectly? No one. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's in his very name. The Bible says in verse 32 that he will be great. That word means exceedingly mighty or extraordinary or splendid. It echoes back to Psalm 47 too. How awesome is the Lord most high, the great king over all the earth. The infant born is to be our awesome God. The one who will be held by his mother is the same one who holds all things together by the word of his power. As I said last night, the one who would soon live in her womb would die for her sins and yours and mine. Think about that. The star that eventually led the wise men to Jesus was first placed there by the hands of Christ himself. Think about it for a moment. Hebrews 1-2 tells us that Jesus has been appointed heir of all things, and through Christ, God made the universe. The Bible says Mary's son would be great. Think about it. Jesus would be great in his love and great in his compassion and great in his sacrifice. Jesus would live a great life and teach great parables and give great sermons. He would heal with great power and be a great example. He would die a great death and be resurrected in great power. He would give us the great commission before ascending to a great height. And the Bible says he will come again in great Glory, and he longs to make great changes in your life and in my life. And friends, this morning, I would implore you to trust in the great one, Jesus the Christ, today. You see, verse 32 refers to Jesus as son of the highest or son of the most high. In the Old Testament, that is El Elyon. I'm sure you've heard it, El Elyon. It's this, the Hebrew, and it's a statement of God's surpassing supremacy. No one is higher than him. His sovereignty is great in every dimension. And to say that Jesus is son of the highest means that he bears the character and nature of the highest. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now think about this young girl processing the fact that she's going to be pregnant and she's going to give birth to a boy named Jesus who himself will be son of the most high God. But Gabriel's not done yet. He tells her that Jesus will fulfill the prophecy given to David to sit on the throne forever. He says in 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Samuel, in, in 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13, records for us where the prophet Nathan tells King David, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, 
I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. Now this can't be Solomon. He didn't live forever. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Friends, every few years we have to vote. But Jesus Christ has no term limits. He has an unlimited monarchy with an absolute reign. You don't choose whether he is king of kings and lord of lords. Whether you accept it or reject it, he is king of kings. He is lord of lords. And one day every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the Father. Better bow now. Better say yes today. Better trust him on this side of glory or lest you will reject him for now and forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never, ever end. His rule of grace and truth is established in the hearts and lives of those who have the God of Jacob as their refuge. He is king and enthroned as Lord and leader of billions of lives today. My prayer is that you are part of God's kingdom that you are bowing before his supremacy and rightful rule in your life. And then quickly as we come to our conclusion, Mary, did you know how essential a virgin birth would be? And did you know how perfectly your son would fulfill biblical prophecy? But I want to close with this question. Mary, did you know where following the word of God would lead? We've looked in greater detail at every other verse in the passage, but consider now as we close verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Think about what she just said. Just reflect for a moment. What is this young girl actually proclaiming? Does following the word of God mean everything will always be easy or perfect for you. There is a plague in the Western church called easy believism. Say a prayer, sign a card, get a little wet. Everything's great. God becomes your divine genie. And when you rub him the right way, he gives you all that you desire. And yet all of us Christ followers who have been walking with Jesus for any length of time will tell you being a Christian does not make you immune from the trials and tragedies of this life. In fact, many times the target on your life gets much larger as the enemy has lost your soul, but now he's after your testimony. While he can no longer possess you, he desires strongly to oppress you. And I would say to you today that Mary was taking on an awful lot when she said, let it be to me according to your word. Did she really know that the shadow of Calvary's cross would fall across Bethlehem's manger? Are you willing to follow the Lord's command even when it might not be easy? Are you willing to do what God says do even when you may not understand? Are you willing to say yes even when there would be severe consequences for obeying the word of God? As I have said this week in some of these services, I cannot imagine anything more difficult than laying my own child down. I can't imagine what it would feel like as a parent to lay down a child in death. But the Lord was willing to do that.
And if Mary really did understand the messianic call, this young girl, this young girl, less than three and a half decades from this proclamation, would see her firstborn son beaten and marred and spit upon and shamed unlike anything human language can even describe to you this morning. And she said, let it be to me. And by consequence, this child, according to your word. Where will following the word of God take you? You know, for us, it took us from central North Carolina to northwest North Carolina. It took us from Greensboro to the little town of Dobson. The first night we ever drove up to Dobson, I had never been there. It's the county seat of Surrey County. We drove up from our suburban church in Greensboro where I had been an associate pastor and worship guy for four years and working on a master's and starting a PhD and spending a lot of time in school and starting to have more kids. And we drove into the parking lot of Salem. And I mean no offense for my precious Salem family. I love you beyond words. But we drove through the parking lot and I went through, we were 45 minutes early and so I, I drove out and I went up to the exit. I say the exit because there was only one. I went to the exit and I pulled into the Shell station and Cindy said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm getting ready to head home. She said, what do you mean you're getting ready to head home? I said, did you see this church? Out here? Out here. If chickens need Jesus, maybe God would call us here. But surely God's not going to call us here. A town of 1,500? And chicken farms everywhere. And I'm a country boy. I love rule. That's where deer hang out. And turkeys. But you want a pastor in a place with people. And she said, because she's my Holy Spirit with skin on, you, you're not going to go home. And I said, well, you just watch. You're not going to go home. Yes, ma'am. You're going to go meet these people that you've agreed to meet. And you're going to talk to them. And we're going to see if God's in this thing. And I had no idea that God would give us 11 precious years of dynamic spiritual growth and numerical growth and new facilities and new land and a Christian academy that we were able to be a part of its founding and, and just uh, uh, bukus of precious, precious people that loved Jesus and loved to worship and loved to see his church growing and touching the nation. I had no idea because my plan was so short-sighted. And then a fellow from northeast Florida called, and he said, we'd like to talk to you about coming here. <laughs> and I said, man, I'm a country dude from North Carolina. You don't want me in Florida. And he said, no, 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 no. This is like South Georgia. I said, talk to me. <laughs> and honestly, there was one singular reason why we believe God opened that door, and it was very simple. There were just more people to share Jesus with. They're just more people, just a bigger population. And we believe that God gives us one go round at this, and every one of us should want to maximize the influence God's given us in our lifetime 
to see more people say yes to Christ and grow in the fellowship. And so we went. But we had no idea in that precious place with these wonderful people, we had no idea that when Bobby and I were in the woods looking at each other at Christmas Eve of 2018, sweating profusely because it was 100 degrees it felt like, we had no idea that we would spend Christmas of 2019 in a new city where we had never even visited in beautiful East Tennessee. And we had no idea that in coming to Grace after that first year of just God showing up and doing incredible things and a lot of changes and new guys coming with us on the team and new developments and God moving, we had no idea that a global pandemic would sweep through the land. (laughs) But the people of God would be more faithful than I've ever seen them. We had no idea that saying yes would mean in these last few months of this, for us, new church year, since August, we would see the greatest harvest of souls and continued growth in this local body than we have ever seen in 23 years of ministry. We had no idea. There have been a few hard things along the way. Standing over a casket this big and trying to look at a mom and daddy and say something of comfort. Dealing with the tragedies and storms of life and the literal hurricanes that will decimate, the literal tornadoes that will destroy, but also those other kinds of things that are just as destructive, the broken homes and marriages, the drug and addictive issues, the jail and prison visits. Ministry is a lot like life when there's a lot of highs and there's some very deep lows. But I thank God that somehow in my thick skull boneheadedness years ago, I finally said yes to Jesus. First in salvation and then some years later in his call. And one thing I've discovered since surrendering in 98 being ordained in 99, I have discovered that one step of obedience can lead to another and can lead to God doing exceedingly and abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. And I know for a fact that I'm not worthy of God's call or position, but I do know that my God is worthy and my God is gracious. And while I don't deserve anything today, I would ask, does any, do any of us deserve God's amazing grace? In a few weeks, we'll celebrate three years. I hope it's the first three of many more. I hope it's the first three of decades of dynamic, God-honoring spiritual development and growth. And if the Lord wills, even to touch more people in East Tennessee, North America, and the world. Do you have any plans that the Lord seems to be changing? What is God leading you to do that you may not fully understand right now? What is happening in your life that you don't know if you have the courage to handle? Like Mary, are you willing to follow the word of God wherever it may lead?
I'm gonna ask Paul Carrasco and his sons, Diego and Daniel, to join me on the platform. Paul has arranged a, a special version of Mary Did You Know, and I want him to share it during this time of closing. And I wanna remind you as we come to the Lord right now, friends, we don't pray to Mary, we pray to God through Jesus Christ. You don't need to get to Jesus through his mama, you can go directly to him. And if you know Christ as personal Lord and Savior, Maybe one day you can visit with his mother in heaven and say, Mary, did you know how essential a virgin birth would be? Did you know how perfectly your son would fulfill biblical prophecy? Did you know where following the word of God would lead? Mary, did you know? I want you to stand with me this morning, and I want to give you a very simple invitation. First, if you need to know Christ, he already knows you. And he wants you to come to him by faith. We're going to have myself, my wife, pastors and counselors right over here in a moment to receive you. But you could even come and commit a word of prayer to the Lord right here. Nothing mystical or magical about that. Just come and commit your life to Christ. If you want to come and thank God for the birth of his son, I think that would be highly appropriate on this last Sunday before Christmas. If you want to come and give something over to the Lord, I think that would be highly appropriate. But I'm going to ask you to commit to do something. I mentioned to you these Bible reading calendars. Our entire staff at our Christmas party spent time talking about what each of us would do in the coming year to grow spiritually. You will do nothing better in 2022 than spend time in the Word of God and let the Word of God dwell richly in you. Mary made the declaration, let it be to me according to to your word. The word of God will only lead you where God the Father wants to take you. All across this altar today, we have spread out these Bible reading calendars. Some of you got them last week. I know many of you did. Some of you did not. I'm going to ask you to do something. If you would commit, you don't have to follow this exact plan by any stretch. I would certainly recommend it if you've never read the scripture cover to cover. But if you would commit to spend time with the Lord and his word daily this coming year, then I'm just going to ask you to come. You don't have to stay at the altar, but just come and take a calendar. Take two, take three if you've got friends or family that would like one. And commit as you come, God, I'm going to spend more time with you and your word so that you can speak to me this year. That implies in and of itself also time in prayer. I'm speaking to and listening to the Lord. But this is something I like to do, and I wanted to put them at the altar today because I think it's important to move and make a step of commitment. And so when I say amen, the altar will be open. All across this place, there are these calendars. I would love for you to commit today. I'm going to spend more time in the Word of God so that when the time comes, I can say, let it be to me according to your Word. Heavenly Father, I'm very, very grateful that you brought us to grace. Lord, we love our Salem family. We continue to love our Middleburg family, but you have called us here. You have called us to this place with these people. And God, I would ask that if it's your will that you would allow us to stay many, many years and that they would be fruitful and faithful years. I believe when we're faithful, there will be fruit. I'm grateful for the team that you have assembled here, godly men and women that serve you in faith 
and walk in truth. And I pray that we would do nothing to bring reproach upon your name. But, much like Mary, we would be obedient to do as you've called us to do. Always for your glory. We commit this time of invitation to you now, and I pray that many would step out and say, you know, I'm going to be more intentional this year to spend time in the Word of God so that the Word of God can dwell in me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you come and take some?